Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is a scripture study podcast. We, uh, this year in the New Testament, we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum, if you're a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, did I already say the New Testament? I think I did, <laughs> but I just want to say it again because I just love that book so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Uh, today, um, this is part one of a two-part series in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We do... Part one today, Matthew 5, and then part two next time it's split up um, into two different lessons. And, and this will uh, be a fun one because we're going to kind of give you the teachings and the settings and um, and kind of what was happening there. Next week, we're going to give you a really fun object lesson that you can participate in with whoever you study with, which will be fun. Yeah. So um, we're really excited. These are some of Jesus' most well-known words and just like one-liners that are just like have just captured people's attention and, and really been a directive for their life and encouragement for their life for so many, like hundreds and hundreds of years. So yeah. um, this I is love to picture rad. that afternoon too, or morning, whenever it took place, it probably says, and I just don't remember. 11 uh, o'clock probably. <laughs> I guess that's the best church time. So for sure, geez, there ain't no way he did 1.30, oh, okay. you know? Once, it, it was the 10 o'clock. Or the uh, 9 o'clock I'm hours, just was no thinking way. about the sunshine actually, but I love that you're thinking about sleeping in. It's fine. I listen better. Don't you just love thinking about though, and we've been there and we're going to show you a picture in a minute, but just the thought of all those people gathered together on that hill and just listening to those words, and it a little bit reminds you of General Conference. Just yeah. that taking a break to sit down and just like be there and be with people and be soaking in whatever that message was going to be, which actually gets me super excited for General Conference because I love, there is nothing I love more than that weekend. And it is so crazy that it's like coming. Yeah. Like, I feel like we just had General Conference, and now we're about it's to have General again. Conference again. So um, they have it on the Hill of Beatitudes? Yes. Someone call President Nelson. President, are you watching <laughs> this? Like, let's, let's go. Are you watching this? <laughs> he does not have time for that. But that would be so fun. It's also like that King Benjamin sermon. You just yep. kind of have that thought. Um, anyways, we were talking about General Conference this morning, and I was trying to tell David about these books that I love at General Conference, which he has never used one before. Jane has, but my daughter. Yes. Because they have, well, they, start, but yeah. they have adult versions and like Yeah, so this is one versions. of our favorite things, and we were like, oh, we should mention this in case none of you have heard about this place yet. Um, our cute friend Rio makes these general conference workbooks that I love. And we will alert her that we're talking about her. This is a surprise. Surprise, Rio. <laughs> but I just was thinking about this and I was like, I love these so much. I wonder if anyone else wants to love these as much as I do. Anyways, if you're someone who loves to take notes during conference, all my girls do. So my daughters and my daughter-in-laws, I get one of these for everybody every year. Um, and I just love having them. But this is what I love about it. And one thing I like about this is I take notes like in random places. And so 
I'm actually one over already thinking about, oh, I would love to take notes and then keep just like my, my library of them because yes. I, I don't throw this away. Right. I don't throw away any of my notebooks. Yeah. But it'll be nice to know that like, oh, th- those are the conference ones. Those are the thoughts I had. During, during that con- six right, months. Right. Yeah. And I love and that she does. I'm so sorry to I love say that this you too. Love it so I know much. I'm one Welcome over. I'm already, yeah, I'm already one over <laughs> because I love that counsel that like, I can't even remember who said it. Harold B. Lee or one of his friends um, said just that this is your, this could be your direction and counsel for the next six months. Like you could come back to this when you're facing a question or a, or a problem or something that, you know, like yeah. how valuable to have that additional, almost like six months worth of, of scripture. You know, I'll go to my patriarchal blessing sometimes. I go to scripture. Yeah. Um, but how awesome if I like, you know, three months from now, I'm like, well, let me go back to my Yes. Let me, you know, if I'm looking well, for an I love answer. This part too, for me, sometimes all the whole talk will happen. And in the talk, I will get a really strong prompting or impression that I will put in my conference notes and think, oh, I want to remember this. And then if I don't know where that notebook is, I'll read that talk later, but I may not have that same inspiration come. Mm-hmm. So I love when we're setting a talk, like in Relief Society, I will pull this out and, and think to myself, okay, what was it that was the, the big standout for me yeah. in this? That's one of the things I love about this is it has a place for notes, obviously, up here. But down here, she's put these four boxes that I love that just talk about what's your promptings and impressions from this talk that might not even be something someone said, or what's questions or promises or invitations that you, that would like propel further study yeah. on this, you know, which I love. What are the doctrine and principles and, and how would I apply this in my life? Like, what would that actually look like? So I love that it it's like participatory. It, it like yeah. wants me to yeah. get into conference. Plus, I love that she does a whole week before a conference, how to prepare your heart and your home before a conference even starts. And then I love at the very end, um, it has this moment where you like go back and reflect on what just happened. And what do I want to remember? Yeah. Yeah. But then it also is a looking forward of like, how am I going to take action now? What does my life look like because of this? And I love it because it reminds me so much of this, that like this momentous occasion happened. Yeah. And how did it change their lives? If you're interested in this, I'll, I'll link it in the newsletter or you can go, Rio's company is called Work and Wonder. So you could go there um, to find these. Yeah, but, and they're really pretty. Yeah, they're so pretty. But I love um, what we're going to talk about today, which is like this conference that happened where everyone came together. And I think it probably was a conference like that where they were like stirred. Mm. Um, that Like it made them have to think about what what do I know and what are the what's the doctrine I just was taught, but then how do I actually even apply it in my life? And one of the things we love about this sermon so much Um, is Jesus talks about the upside down kingdom. He talks about like everything that has been normal and routine for them. He kind of rocks the boat a little bit. He's like, I'm going to make you like rethink about what are you doing in the gospel, in your gospel life? Yeah. I was listening to, um, something this morning. I can't remember, but, um, a, a comment somebody made was that Jesus if he stops kind of stirring you up, 
you're probably not actually listening to his words. Oh, that's so. So he has good. this really, really powerful way of bringing together two what seem opposites, and one is this message of hope, always and encouragement, but also at the same time there is always this like a stirring up, you know, this yes. like, this idea of like, hold on, let me help you think about this. Let yes. me kind of like spark you along in that, yeah. you know? It's the same with the Holy Ghost, with the Spirit. I remember Josh wrote home from his mission one week and he was like, I just learned something so interesting about the Spirit because the Spirit can make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of what the Spirit does. It like, it stirs you up and it will make you uncomfortable in places that need to be changed or, you know, fixed or turned. And then he's like, but isn't it interesting that his name is the Comforter? Yeah. Yeah. And so I do love that thought that like they, um, those members of the Godhead will use both things to like, they'll speak of hope, but then they'll also be like, but here, here's some stuff you could work on. They are, are going to want to bring you comfort, but they're also going to make you uncomfortable. And that's a little bit what is happening in this sermon, sermon yeah. as we start. So hold on, go back because okay. we're calling this the, the upside down kingdom, um, you have to remember that Jesus is giving this in context of, he has just in Matthew 4 said, um, the kingdom of heaven draws near, right? This is, it's here. Yeah. Uh, the prophecies and promises of the Old Testament are now occurring. They're happening. The kingdom is among us. And for them, there were a lot of people who had this intention and thought of what that was going to look like. And yet Jesus is going to say like, oh, it's actually a little bit different than you probably assumed. Yeah. That's it is, so and that's good. why we're calling this. And before I go, let's kingdom. just talk about. Let's go in. I love when you go into Matthew five. So we're just going to start right there. If you have your scriptures and you want to open, or I'm going to read it to you if you're wa- walking. I love when people are like, "I listen to you on my walk," because I love walks. So, don't you wish it just transferred over? Like everyone who listened to you on a walk, you got to like be there, and also you got the exercise. Oh, if they listen to you. (laughs) So we've been on 6,000 walks this week. Yeah, I wish I was on a walk real live with people, but... Only if they're in San Clemente, because... it's so warm. Right now, no one wants to walk in Utah. It's three in Utah. Three degrees is what is happening now. Now you're going to get an email from Canada. I know, Where someone's going to say... And Greg Greg checks every night when it's cold here, this little city or something called yellow knife i think is the name of it it's the coldest place in the whole world <laughs> to make him I'm feel like better in my bed and i'm just like <laughs> shaking because i'm so cold and he's like it could be colder it could be whatever it is um okay so this is one thing that i love because we talk about the sermon on the mount and we and we will say matthew 5 through 7 and sometimes that feels overwhelming to your brain because you're like that is a really long church that's what your brain wants to say every time they're like, we will now read Matthew 5 through 7. And you're like, I no. can't. My brain says this. Yes. Jesus said all he needed to say in three chapters. Why are we taking so long every single week? <laughs> okay. And I want to say Jesus actually taught the most important part of the sermon in verse 1. Like the entire sermon is encapsulated in verse 1 of chapter 5. And I think that if you can just stop and think about exactly what's happening in that little bit, it's going to teach you everything you need to know about what you're looking for in all the verses that follow. He says this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And 
what I want you to do, like I just read that and you were like, well, I don't understand what is the important part. And it actually took me reading it lots of times before I was like, oh, wait a minute. There's something actually super important happening here because the first thing is this. Why did he go up the mountain? Is because he saw the multitudes. And I love that thought that he was like, okay, what I'm about to teach right now is maybe it's not going to be a good fit for everyone. So I'm going to actually leave behind the multitude and I'm going to go up into this mountain. And when he was set there, when he was like sitting there, truly no one could have went. He could have just had that moment by himself. But it tells us the disciples came up unto him. And there is going to be some of that multitude that is going to follow. We've been to that mountain. And it really would be a walk, like to get up to a place that would be comfortable to sit and, and enjoy that sermon. It would require something of you to get up there. And I love that that's what Jesus is teaching. The object lesson he's teaching before he even begins is if you want to be part of this lesson, of this conversation, of this discussion, it's actually going to require you to come up to it because He's about to teach a higher law, a higher way of living. And I love that he's like, the best way to do this is to actually go up higher and see who wants to come up for it. Yeah, it reminds me of that, um, that line in The Chosen, which is my fifth gospel. Um, Matthew, Mark, <laughs> Luke, John, Chosen. chosen. Yes. <laughs> um, where he says to that, this guy, um, I ask a lot of my followers. Um, but I don't ask a lot of everyone else, you know? And it was that, that idea that you're kind of saying that just like, if you're like, listen, I can make you to become something holy and it's going to require you to come up in order to, in order to do that. And I like that idea of like, if you're not ready for that, that's, that's okay. okay. Right. Yeah. But I, but for those who are going to kind of advance the kingdom cause to live as kingdom people, it's going to require being elevated. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which reminds me, when we were in Israel this last year, we learned this word from our Israeli guide, Elon. Um, we were actually driving up to the Mount of Beatitudes. And I was... Yeah, today you can take a bus up. You don't even have to walk. It's yeah. just so nice. Yeah. We Christianity got so much easier. Yes. <laughs> you can take a bus now. <laughs> and we were going up and... Um, he was talking to me about the rising generation of the youth in, not just in Israel, but in the entire world. And this cause that the leadership, the Jewish leadership has taken on to remind the rising generation of their roots, of where they came from in a hope that they will be able to instill faith in them. And so they do these birthright trips. And as he was telling me about the trips, which I was fascinated by, I was like, teach me about this and tell me about this. And he was like, we call it an Aaliyah. And I was like, wait, what is that Aaliyah? And he's like, oh, it's a Hebrew word that means to ascend or to go up. That's what it means. And so... And it comes from that Old Testament 
verse, come now, let us go up unto the mountain of the Lord. Yes. Like that's like the verse that they reference when they talk about and it. And you'll see it a lot in, in Jesus' language too. He, he, he will go up to the temple or he will go up to Jerusalem. That go up phrase is Aaliyah. That's what it is. It's this going up. And I a little bit am in love with it because it kind of represents for us what the plan of salvation looks like. Um, like that word exalt also means to go up, right? It, it's like this journey of exaltation, this aliyah. It's a going up. And I actually really like thinking about it as an invitation more than an expectation. Yeah. You know, like he's not leaving anyone behind in this. It's an invitation to live higher and holier. He's like, you actually can experience and be a part of something greater if you did. And so I like that idea of it's not like the train has left you behind, yes. but rather like this, this isn't actually an invitation to come up. Yeah. If you want. Right. Right. And um, you love that that's how it was. Like when you walk up that mountain, some people might have got there right in time for 10 o'clock church, but some people might have wandered up at 11. The beauty of this sermon is I'm sure it was still going. <laughs> <laughs> and we have it, right? We still have it. The, the sermon of Jesus's life is you can join that hike anytime and there will be people walking with you along the way. In fact, it makes me think right now, read that one quote that you were talking about right now of how you walk it or where you walk it. Doesn't oh, matter as yeah, much yeah, as yeah, the yeah. fact that you are walking it. Yeah. So one of the talks that I love to read in association with this is Elder Holland's talk. It's called Be Therefore Perfect Eventually. I think that would be an awesome reminder um, to go and just look that up. You can find it. October 2017. Um, uh, and here's a, a couple of things that he says in that talk. I think, I think it would also be a really, really good preface to reading it. And I got to find that talk, that line that, oh, it's this. He's quoting Leo Tolstoy. He's talking about a priest um, who is talking about, like, he teaches a standard of living, you know? And then he says this to people who criticize him. Look at my life now and compare it to my formal life, former life. You will see that I am trying to live out the truth that I proclaim. But unable to live up to the high ideals he taught, the priest admits he has failed. But he cries, attack me if you wish. I do this myself. But don't attack the path I follow. If I know the way home, but I'm walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way simply because I am staggering from side to side? Oh, which I just, I love that thought. Is like there is one way home and we're all walking it. And at some points in our life, we might be walking it better than others. But the fact that I'm pointed in the right direction and I'm trying should count for something. Yeah, right. Right. And I think that's like sort of the idea of that bookend verse yes. that we're going to show. So, yeah. oh, this oh, is the mountain, by the way. Everyone, why didn't we show that at the beginning? Yeah, I um, thought it was in the next slide, but here it is right now in the next segment. Here's a palm tree. You, so you know it's and, the right place. And see how they left down from the sea and they would just meander their way up here, which I also love because it wasn't like he was like, you have to climb the face of this rock if you want the lesson. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you could like meander your way up here and people would have just found places amongst the flowers to sit and look at that view. Um, 
which I love, while Jesus is just like, let me teach you how to live a higher and holier way. And then we talked about how that first verse, like almost the whole sermon is encapsulated in that verse where he's just like, leave the multitude and come up higher and consider a new way of life. And it might be an upside down life for you. Um, And he says, um, I love this. This is from the journal. The last verse in chapter five is almost as important as the first verse or just as, um, because I love that it brings it full circle, these bookends, because he says, if you salute your brother and only, what do you do more than others? Um, don't you just do as the publicans do, which is what he's saying is like this way of life, you could choose this or this. And that's fine. If you choose the one that is the way everyone else is doing it. Or he says, and he gets into 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect, which could be a little overwhelming. Right. Because you can be like, well, wait, I just climbed up this hill and now your expectation is for me to be perfect. And I love that when you were like, no, it's not the expectation. It's the invitation. Right. And it's that thought of perfect actually means, and you'll see this in the footnote in your scripture, complete finished and fully developed. Like he's inviting you on a walk, on a journey, on a life experience that is going to eventually make you complete and finished. As opposed to flawless. That's what somebody might say. Like, oh, if I had, you know, have a perfect game, you meant, oh, I had a flawless experience. And that would be the difference. Like our mind wants to go there, but the New Testament talks about that word in a way that means, um, this, right? And, and I, I think the Book of Mormon says it um, kind of it says something similar, right? Where it says, be perfected in Christ, yep. right? It talks about, that's an invitation. This is a, this is a grace journey, you know, is what this is. And so those two footnotes are just um, so awesome to kind of think about, oh, what, what if there's a sermon just, you know, within that sermon? And we just want to talk about what the name is for... Um, that we picked for Jesus this week, which is lawgiver. And uh, some of the words that that comes from in in Greek are to to be right, to be lawful, to be allowed, and to be possible. And I love the combination of all of them together. Like you just don't want to leave one of them out. Well, and I love too when you, you could use the word be right, but I also like, I want to think about when you're in a canoe that is tipping or rocking, there is a way to right the canoe, Mm, mm, to sturdy mm, it, mm. you know? And I love that that's part of what it's teaching us about the law is if your life feels out of control or like askance, have you heard that word before? No, I'm so sorry, (laughs) but I wasn't gonna say it. Um, um, If you're in that place where you're just like not quite settled, I love that law can right you, mm-hmm. like it can just sturdy you or stabilize you in that moment. And I feel like that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you about things that are possible. I'm going to right the unrest in you. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you solid ground that you right. can stand on. Right, which is super like, uh, what do you say? You feel really safe and secure in yeah. a place like that. And also... You see the possibilities, right? Where he just says, like, let me, I'm not a person who's prone to the word lawgiver or law. <laughs> like, it, you know, um, but there is something about it that the possibility and this one, because I felt my life like 
out of whack a little bit and wanted to say like, okay, I actually need somebody. I need you to like bring me to center. Yes. You know, because you made my soul. So like, I'm, I'm like going to the manufacturer essentially, <laughs> yes. but you Can know, you but a father also. Yeah. But like, button. and it's like, okay, set me right. But I also love like the idea of the possibility where he's like, let me actually teach you the patterns of kingdom life. Let me yeah. show you how to enjoy holiness. Yeah, and the possibility that right. would be in that. Um, and then, so he's a little bit rocked the boat a little bit, right? He's like, if you want to hear this lesson, you got to come up higher to it. But then, like the beginning of the lesson is super unsettling. Yeah, or super encouraging, Yeah, right? Because it's a little bit different than what people are used to hearing. Um, you have to, if you want to really love the... The idea of what we call the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the sermon. There's two things you probably want to understand. One is, this is a really typical way of rabbis to teach. They usually started by announcing, like, this is what it means uh, to be blessed. Um, and, this, and, and everyone kind of might have their own expectation of what, what, that, that, looks what like. that looks like, right? Yeah. Um, I used to, when I would talk to my granny... Um, you know, just kind of give her a life update and, and stuff. Like I would call her and she'd be like, oh, baby, how's my, how, how the grands, how my grands, how's Jen? You know, when I would like tell her, I was like, oh, you know, Christian made the basketball team. Oh, baby, you so blessed. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, and she's like, how, how's Jen? She's like, oh, she's just doing great. She's this, oh, baby, you so blessed. You know, it's like, oh, I got a raise. You so blessed, you know, <laughs> yes. which is the typical way that you would like, how do you know that somebody is blessed? Yeah. You know, you would say like, oh, life's going good. They have yeah. no enemies. Like things are like going along really smoothly yeah. and everything. Um, but what's interesting is you have to imagine this crowd. And if you go back to Matthew 4, right after he announces the kingdoms here, first he goes and gets no name fishermen. So they're going to be there. Then it says he goes about all of Galilee healing all manner of sickness and people with diseases. And then it says this, his fame went throughout the whole land and they brought unto him all the sick people with diverse diseases and torments, those possessed with devils, those who everyone thought was crazy, those who had the palsy, all the, and then he's like, and there followed him great multitudes. And then you get into five and it says the multitudes followed him and you know, so he went, went, up, went into up the mountain, right? And so it's like the crowd that's there is most likely compiled of no-name fishermen, sick people, poor outcast people, people poor yeah. people. Like that's who's there. And so in that context, when you read the Beatitudes. the Beatitudes of what Jesus says, this is what it means to be blessed. You kind of like get a different idea. Yeah, because it's so interesting when he wants to start out, and he was like, okay. Um, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek and he's going through all these things those who are hungering uh, blessed are they and when I read this I'm like okay I have actually stood in the checkout line at Smith's with my grocery basket full and my card in hand like praying my card is going to work you know, that moment where you're like, please, when I put this in, let, let it work, you know, and knowing that the cupboards are bare at home. And I'll never forget one time when the card actually didn't work. And I had filled all the bags in the self-checkout. 
and put my money in and it didn't work. And I called Greg and he was like, it's not going to work till tomorrow because we were like living paycheck to paycheck in that moment, which is like that moment where I will tell you the word I was not feeling was blessed. Yeah. When I had to go to the man and be like, I actually have to come back and get these tomorrow mm. and walk out of the store and think to myself, what am I actually like, what are we going to eat for dinner tonight? Because I know what the fridge looks like inside and the other and like. Yeah. Could you imagine me calling granny and she's yeah. like, how are things? And I'm like, oh, my credit card got declined today. Yeah. And we don't have any food. Oh, oh I don't baby, have you're so blessed. Yes. You know, you'd be like, what? That's not true. You're senile. Yeah. You know? And I think it's so important to realize when he's reading this, we're like, oh, that's nice. It reads like a poem that you're like, no, it reads like salt on open wounds. Actually, yeah. if this is the life you're living, you know, that mom who lost her daughter this week and it's the night before the funeral. And he's like, oh, are you mourning? You are so blessed. And you're like, wait a minute, that word doesn't actually feel comfortable yeah. to me right now. I need you to explain more of what that means. Yeah, because we are behind. We are um, lacking and, and everything in here, you would say like, some people read this and they're like, oh, I know, I see what he's doing. He's telling me to be meek. He's telling me to be merciful. And you could read it like that, but I, I don't think it's his, in, his intention yeah. necessarily. Right. But, um, to give hope and encouragement to the people who are there because everybody else has said, if you have money on your, in your account, you're blessed. Yeah. If you are ahead of the game, you're blessed. If you're healthy, you're blessed. You know, God shine down on you. And he's reversing that. Yeah, and I love how for everyone. Um, Luke spins it. I, I like his a little bit better because you feel hope in his, where I'm going to read in Luke 6, 21, when he's like, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. And blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And I love that he's like, it's okay if this is the story you are living now, I plan to make it better. Like you, you cry all you need to tonight and for the next week and for the next three months. But this is what you need to know. You will laugh again. Mm, mm. It might not be today, but you will laugh again. And, and I love that there's part of him that is like, I see you in this moment. I recognize what you're experiencing. And I am also here to tell you there is hope. Um, and then I love this line. One of my favorite uh, Christian writers, Philip Yancey, he says this, the poor, the hungry, the mourners, and the oppressed truly are blessed. Not because of their miserable states, of course. Jesus actually spent much of his life trying to remedy those miseries. Rather, they are blessed because of an innate advantage they hold over someone more comfortable and self-sufficient. People who are rich, successful, and beautiful may well go through life relying on their own natural gifts. But people who lack such natural advantages, hence underqualified for success in the kingdom of this world, just might turn to God in their time of need. Human beings do not readily admit desperation, but when they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. Yes. And I love that. And I love this thought too of like, it's almost as if he, he's teaching them to see things in a different perspective, Yeah, which is super hard when you're like holding the credit card that's not working to have that other perspective. But it reminds me of this flight I took 
Many years ago, I was on this flight and this lady came in and sat down next to me. She had this cowboy hat and she just held it on her lap. And I looked down at her hands and, and she just had those like work worn hands. Also, this is what I remember so much about her. Her eyes were probably the kindest eyes mm. I've ever looked into in my life. And we started talking, it was 2017, we started talking as we were flying. And as we um, were talking, it's right when Hurricane Irma was about to make landfall in Florida. And all the flights had been like delayed because of that. So we were like randomly on this unexpected flight. And I asked her where she was going and where she was from and if she was going home. And she was like, no, I can't go home because I live in Florida. And so there, I'm just trying to get as close as I can. And then I'll try and drive in. And I was like, oh, do you have family in Florida? And she was like, yeah, my two kids and my mom and my daughter, my daughter and her two kids and my mom. And I was like, well, what are they going to do tonight? And she's like, oh, they'll just sleep in the hallway with a mattress over them. That's what we do in hurricanes. And I was like, oh my gosh, you, like... I've never slept through a hurricane before. And then she was telling me about, I asked if she had any other kids and she told me about her son who was in the army and had been injured and he was in a different country and how she's been mm. praying for him. And we talked about him for a minute. And then she, I asked if she was married and she was like, well, I was, but my husband actually left me for another woman. And then he left me the company that because he moved to where she lived. And she was at the age of 60 trying to learn how to be a construction manager because that was the company that was where she lived. And she was trying to like learn that. And I finally looked at her and I was like, I'm sorry your life has been so hard. Yeah. Like hard when she was listing all of these things. And then she said the most interesting thing to me. She said, it's okay. It's the way it should be. The hard things have taught me to be more compassionate to those who will walk the same road one day. Every time a trial comes, it simply reminds me that now I have more to give. Mm. And as she said that, I was like, I'm so intrigued by that. I'm so intrigued by like, what if I had said that in the grocery store line that day? That as I walked back to my car, well, at least someday from now when hopefully there is money in the bank account and I see someone else in this situation, I will have more to give because I will have stood in those shoes and I will remember what it felt like and I will maybe respond differently than I would have. And I love that that's part of what he's doing with that perspective shift is saying, um, blessed are the poor now because one day you might not be poor, but also you're going to understand how to give mercy. You're going to understand how to, you know, be yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And it's like, and, and when you stand there with compassion years later, um, then you get to live kingdom life. Yes. The thrill of kingdom yes. life. To, to mourn with those who mourn and, and lift other people. Like, And it was your poverty that opened the door for two things. One, for you to come to know in a way you wouldn't have. And two, to then be able to experience what kingdom life looks yes. like. The rich and the pot, they, they might have a really hard time they have too much to lose, yes. you know? Yeah. But you, you say, you people have nothing to lose. 
you can actually walk in this way and like and experience yeah. it and you, and you don't have any hurdles to that yeah i love that so oh, much oh this is so awesome so i stumbled upon these tell two. the people for the podcast oh yeah yeah that they might want to come look at these pictures yeah look at afterwards. these pictures or you'll look up these two artists um tim noble and sue webster and they uh create this stuff that's called trash art and what they do is, is you walk into the museum or wherever the art show is, and there's just a table full of trash, like Coke cans and wrappers and, and you know, boxes. just boxes and stuff like that. And, and you look at it, and, and they've been shot through and, and stuff like that, and it really looks like... And then in the art show, they actually turn on a spotlight. And then in this particular one, there's all these things on the table, and a spotlight comes, and then the, the New York you know, skyline shows up behind it. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh... How did they do that? Yeah, initially I looked at that table and I saw a whole bunch of trash, but when you shine the right light on it, all of a sudden it became something beautiful. Yeah. And I love this next one because it is like trash bags and McDonald's bags and cups. And, yeah, like someone seriously and, just got in my garbage can and, and tore, dumped like my raccoons. garbage out. It looks like a bunch of raccoons, yeah. you know, got into it. And then you turn on the spotlight and then you actually see people who are... Yeah, it's like this man and this woman that are just looking up at the clouds. That's what it feels like and enjoying this summer afternoon. (laughs) And it's interesting that when you shine the right light on what someone might consider trash, like it it has the possibility of becoming, you know, something beautiful. Yeah, and you love that that's kind of what he's saying. One day I rewrote the Beatitudes. Um, I just wanted to think about like, what's he trying to tell me here? Sometimes when scripture... You've heard it a million times. It becomes so familiar, you actually miss the lesson. And when that starts happening for me, I will generally pull out a pen and rewrite it in a way that I'm like, what's he trying to teach me right now? And so one afternoon I did, I just sat down and rewrote the Beatitudes. This is what they sounded like when I finished. And in your journals, you're going to have this chart, um, this worksheet that's going to allow you to do something really similar Um, We've given you the prompt line for every one of these, but you're going to be able to fill it in according to the story of your life. Like what have those conditions actually taught you? Mine says this, when you feel like you are lacking, you are blessed because you will find your abundance in him. When your heart is broken, you are blessed because he will come to mend you. When you become content with where you are, you are blessed because you will learn to see God in everything. When you are empty and unsatisfied, you are blessed, because He will come to fill you. When you offer your heart to someone in need, you are blessed, because your heart will become like His. When you seek for the good, you are blessed, because that is where you will find God. When your relationships need reconciliation, you are blessed, because your Father is the giver of peace. When you feel like you don't belong, you are blessed because he has already welcomed you in. And so this is going to give you those same prompts right here that you'll be able to go through and just take these beatitudes, take these prompts and maybe look at how have you been blessed in the upside down moments of your life and where have you discovered him in those places? This will be in the app. Um, under printables. So if you want that, you can print this out. Um, it'll also be on our, You, I think you can find it on the webpage yeah. also. Yeah. Kim. Okay, this next section um, kind of begins uh, getting into going past the Beatitudes and then coming into where he's going to teach what, you know, 
living kingdom life actually looks like. And he starts with these like, uh, it's almost like an invitation of sorts where in verse 13, you'll, you'll recognize it. He says, you're the salt of the earth. Um, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherefore shall it be salted? And then you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put under a bushel, but on a candlestick. A bushel would put the candle out, everyone, just so you know. In my <laughs> mind, I thought it was a bush when I read it, as you know. And I was like, wait, that would make the fire bigger. But it's, anyways, it's one of those things that puts it yeah, out. Yeah, like a basket. Yeah, like and it basket. puts light into all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And so there is this invitation in here. Do you want to explain that, this Oh yeah, first? that we're calling this outer expression, inner commitment. And, you know, it's tough to know exactly what Jesus meant when he like taught this. But one thing that people would have thought of when he said, ye are the salt. Salt was used primarily um, at the temple. Like every time somebody would bring one of their sacrifices to the temple, salt was actually a part of that ordinance. And it represented um, the covenantal part of that ritual that they were um, involved in. And so that would have been something that would have triggered in people's mind when he says that ye are the, the salt, right? And so... And it would covenant... It would... Um bring to mind covenant relationships or those covenants. Like that's where with, if you were going to be like, Oh, what does salt symbolize for us? We don't come to it as quickly because we don't actually use salt in the temple, but for them, they would have immediately gone to, he's talking about a covenant relationship. He's talking about that covenant at the temple. Like that's something that you would know inwardly. And understand inwardly. Right. And then this idea that you are the light is like a natural like expression of an outward, right? Let let your light so shine that other people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so we love this, this spot right here where he gives those two. Um, and again, is this exactly what he meant? We don't know. But there is this idea that I think is he's living with a bunch of people at that time who are really uh, focused on outward expression. And I love to think that Jesus may have been teaching people, hold on, hold on. First, let's talk about like that salt part first, what that looks like, the savor of a relationship, Yeah. right? That inner commitment, the idea of um, loyalty, you know, in a relationship first. And then that light will just be an outward expression of what's going on on the inside, that covenantal relationship. Yeah, and I love that... Um, a little bit, he's he's coming into this theme that he's gonna he, we're gonna dive into in a minute, where he's talking about you've gotten so caught up in the routine and the ritual, of you just go and you do the sacrifice. That's just part of of your the ritual or the routine of this religious life for you, and you actually you're not bringing light into the world right now because the ritual has actually dimmed in you what would what would be shining out from you. I've been reading this book that is so good by this Christian preacher. And there's this quote I read last night that I've been thinking about. It says, the priests and religious leaders had forgotten that there was something real or someone real behind the ritual of religion. Hmm. Don't you love the thought of that? Like they, they just had forgotten that like, to savor the relationship, that there was something actually real behind the routine. 
Yeah, and there and the idea of like savoring all types of relationship. Like, don't lose the savor in any of them. Like, Jesus will say this later and clarify. Like, the whole all the law hangs on the idea of loving God, or in other words, having a loving relationship with Him and having a loving relationship with right. other people. And He yeah. says that is the purpose of this kingdom living. Yeah, and this what the salt, this inward conviction that is going to lead to outward action that is going to change you. And we love that it's his hope is that you will actually learn to live higher and holier than you do right now. And sometimes we read this and, and we read, oh, we didn't even put anything up there. Yeah. Um, sometimes we read this and we look at it and we're like, well, yeah, that's so easy. If someone asks you to walk a mile, walk two. If someone asks you to give their coat, give two. If someone tells you to love your um, neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that feels good. Like this sounds, this is so familiar to us that it's not hard yeah. to us. Right. And it's interesting because recently we've kind of lived, I think, something similar to what happens here during the Sermon on the Mount. And that is when we got just, what is it, last conference? Yeah. Um, this updated version of the For Strength of Youth pamphlet. And in that... It, first, it's so much the Sermon on the Mount. Like it yeah. really is a reliving of the Sermon on the Mount. And who loves it? Emily put it into her scriptures. That is actually so awesome. You because just, I love <laughs> keeping the most modern revelation in my scriptures. So in the back, I have bound in the proclamation, the testimony, the living Christ, the restoration proclamation. And so when I just did my scriptures again, I was like, well, I'm putting this in there because I just love that we have that modern scripture right here. Yeah. And one thing that I think is interesting about this, so what happened is like, we heard a lot of feedback when this came out. There's just like, some of it was like, oh, I guess God's changed, right? He's changed his mind on, on a lot of things. And I thought he was, you know, I thought he was unchanging. Yes. And it's interesting because in the Sermon on the Mount, here he is, the one who actually gave them the law on Mount Sinai is now on another mountain. And it's fun, kind of fun how Matthew does that in a super clever yes. way, right? Where he's just like mountain, mountain, right? Yeah. Where he's kind of like, hey, this is the new covenant of Israel. The old covenant of Israel, the old things that defined, you know, how to live in this way looked like this. And they had like 613 laws, right? That were given in the Torah. It's like, this, is, this will kind of define the way that you live. And that worked, during that time period, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of things in there that were just like, wait, those are out. Some people are like, are those are outdated. Like, do we still live those or right. whatever? And Jesus comes on top of the mountain and he says, I know that it said this, right? But this is actually how I want you to live is like this. And at first that may have caused people to jar a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like, wait a second. You can't change that. Yeah. Like, who, who are you to change that? Right, right. And why are you changing that? Like that is like, we're living it and it's worked and it's, and it's going good. And it's almost as if he was saying, no, 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 no. They did. They, they, it was working, but you've sort of lost track of the purpose of it. Like it, it, the intention of it wasn't to be a really good rule keeper. And that's sort of what it became, Yeah. you know, for you. Yeah. And I think maybe that is what was happening with the first strength of youth, right? Yes. Where it was like, all of a sudden it became like this standard that measured whether you were a good person or well, not. And also this happened because, and I'm sure this was happening back then too, where they were like, well, now we need to have a law, how many steps you can walk on a Sunday. Now we need to have a law, how long can you burn your candle 
yeah. on a Sunday. And then... It was like, now we have lamps, and, so we better adjust it for, uh, yeah, like, for how lamps. do we do that? Well, and what <laughs> happens when we were in Israel, and now they have elevators. So right. now they're having to adjust it for, like, elevators. That was not happening when Moses was here. Like, life happens, and, like, I was looking at it. remember little boy? Yes, it was like... Should you tell that story now? It's yes. so cute. So we're there. I was by the elevator, and it was Shabbat. It was Sabbath, and um, there is... they A lot of Jews won't use an elevator unless there's a certain... Um, Shabbat elevator because pushing of the button is now the equivalent of lighting a light, like lighting a candle. Yeah. Like that's the new adjustment. So they'll use the stairs. So they'll that's use the stairs. And this little boy was talking to me in Hebrew and he was he just... He was like seven. Yeah. And he was just like... And he was like... He was like go, like stepping like stairs. But, but I he thought... he didn't know. Uh, yeah. And he was saying that to me and he was just like... <laughs> you know, like stepping. And I was just like... Oh my gosh, she has to go to the bathroom. And so I was like, come here. You know, it's kind of walking us walking into like, where the like, bathroom is no, like, no, 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 no. This. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, it's, oh, it's, Sabbath. it's Saturday. He needs the stairs. He needs the stairs. And um, just that there were so many like changes culturally that there had to be changes made. And I was like, if we still lived this system instead of 613 laws by the year 2023, it feels like there would be 1 million. 407,000 whatever, you know what I mean? I'm like, the strength of youth book would have to be this thick because there's so many things going on. Like when you're like, well, is this against the rules? Is this against the rules? Is this, is this, is this? I wonder if Jesus finally was like, you guys, here's what I'm trying to teach you, how to live higher and holier. I'm trying to teach you that you're not gonna find an answer to every situation you encounter nowadays especially when wickedness is so prolific. It's everywhere. It's right. everywhere. I can't go through and be like, don't do that. And also don't do that. And now that it's in 2024, oh my gosh, we're going to have to add this and this and this to the list. And there's so many things that need to go on the list now because wickedness is intensifying. And that means holiness needs to start also intensifying. I loved when you watched the face-to-face -face just barely that was on. And there was this one moment at the top of the mountain. They'd hiked up to the mountain, if you haven't seen it yet. And Sister Corden asks one of the boys, what do you think about the new Strength of Youth pamphlet? And it's so interesting because he's like, well, the old pamphlet almost made life easier because it just said what you should or shouldn't do. And then he said, the more I've studied this pamphlet, what I'm realizing is God is trying to teach me how to live in a higher and holier way. And that's going to require me to actually be in relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to pray and ask him what he thinks about this and, and how he feels about this. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to like actually study. And if I know the goal is to be higher and holier, when I ask a question, my thoughts are going to be like, what would Jesus have me do and why? Yeah. And where is the scripture that backs up that doctrine that maybe I've been taught my whole life? Someone's just been like, no, no, we don't do that or we don't do this. But why? Where's the doctrine? Where's the learning? What does Jesus want me to know? And I love that as you get into this, it's so different because it's going to first teach you those eternal truths, right? That's the first thing that's going to happen. And I love when it goes through and it's like, here's the groundwork. Here's what you need to know mm -hmm, going mm -hmm. in. And then it's going to tell you the promise of blessings of what's going to happen if you choose to live that 
eternal truth, whatever it is. And then I love that they have put in questions that are probably the things that you're like, well, what should I do in this situation? And what is, you know, what have prophets said about this? And, you know, how do I learn to go back and, and make this applicable in my life? But my favorite part of the whole thing is at the very end, and if you haven't had a chance to get in and look um, yet, at the very end, at the very bottom of every single section, the very last section says this, temple recommend questions. And it's the temple recommend questions that that truth, that those promised blessings will lead you to. So in the moment, in your aliyah, in your going up to the high mountain, when you sit in that moment and someone says to you, okay, you're about to enter into a higher and holier relationship with God. And are you like prepared for that kind of a relationship? I love that you're like, oh yeah, let me just go back to this book because it's actually been preparing me my whole life to live higher. It's been preparing me to live holier. That's what the strength of youth is doing for me now. It's not, it's not constraining me, but it's allowing me to live in that real relationship with him and say, could you help me live higher and holier? What does that actually look like? And I love going back to Exodus, to that first Mount Sinai, because this was the intention of God thousands of years ago, but for a different people and a different time, he was giving them a pattern of living that would help them get there. Because he said before Moses walks down with the stone tablets, he says this, um, the Lord called him out of the mountain and said, tell this to the children of Israel. You've seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bury you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I love that reminder always. First, remember who's saying this to you, the one who rescued you, okay? If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall become a peculiar treasure unto me. Mm for all the earth is mine and you will become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And you will get to experience the thrill of kingdom life. Like I'm actually trying to invite you into this different, more beautiful, more fulfilling way of living. And let me show you how to do that. And it seems as if that intention is the same of Jesus's here. He was like, do you want to live what kingdom life is like this yes. fulfilling beautiful way and and he's inviting us into that again it's yeah. an, it's not this like slap on the wrist it's an invitation into living in this way and and it's interesting because he's doing two things one is like misery prevention you know some of the yeah. things in here he's just like i'm actually trying to prevent you from being miserable number one and number two i'm actually trying to show you how to enjoy this good world and the relationships yes. that are in it. You and you know? can tell it was uncomfortable for them the same way. I'm sure you heard some of this too, when that strength of youth came out, like there was a lot of like living in the uncomfortable for a minute of like, wait, why did they do this? And some people were so happy it was going to be different. And some people were like, this makes it harder for me to raise my kids. And, and we kind of lived in that conversation for three weeks of like, well, what is this saying? I can go do whatever I want now. And yeah. which, then you look at those words higher and holier and you're like, 
well, do you think it's saying you can do yeah. whatever you want and, now? You know, and is that what you saw? Yeah. Is that all it was to you? Well, it's a list of do's and don'ts, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I love in verse 17 of Matthew 5 where he's like, um, and I think you alluded to this earlier when you were like, some people were like, well, are, is something wrong with the prophets? Like, did they not get it right in the 80s? Why are they changing it now in 2023? Which I, I want to be like, that's... 40 years of culture change. Yeah. You know, I love that they're like, let us help you live relevant faith. And actually, back then this might have worked because the wickedness was not what the wickedness is now. And what we're saying is, and, and by we, I mean God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ are saying they are actually going to have to live in a higher and holier way now. And I love when Jesus is like, in verse 17, don't think that I came here to destroy the law or the prophets. That's not what I came to do. Um, I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And I love that that's what's happening now where he's like, it's not that the other was not right. It actually was sufficient for the time it was given. But we actually live in a place of increased wickedness. And, um, and the deceiver has gotten so good at deceiving and the tools he gets to use now, like in the eighties, there was no TikTok, There was no Instagram. Someone could not have written you a guideline for how to live in 2023. And then I'm like, oh, thank you for a living prophet. Thank you for ongoing revelation. Thank you that I can sit in a sermon on the Mount every six months and have someone say, here, we're going to help you through the next six months. Yeah. And this is what continuing revelation looks like. This is a God who has not forgotten his people. You know, this is yeah. someone saying, I can actually help you live higher and holier. And I just love that boy at the top of the mountain who is like, I see what he's trying to do with me. And I am going to actually rise up to that potential. Yeah. yeah. And I love that verse 20, where he says, I say unto you, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's sort of like, they were actually really, really good <laughs> at keeping the 613 laws. Like they were professional, like they yeah. were admired for it. And so Jesus is like, obviously he's not saying you've got to keep the rules better than they, but perhaps he's kind of teaching they are seeing righteousness in a different way than I need you to see it. They're so focused on the law and I'm trying to get you focused on me. And I'm trying to get you focused on the, mm. in, in the, in, on the intention that I came for. That word righteousness means right relationship, Yeah. right? And, and the things that you might do, anger, for example, will really wreck relationships between others and you and me. Um, thinking, uh, adultery, lust, those things will all wreck relationship. And I'm trying to teach you how to, like, don't do righteousness the way they do righteousness, but do it with the right intention, Yeah, well, you know? Yeah, with relationship with me and right. mind, which and actually I love because you're making me think of Elder Uchtdorf's talk in the last general conference about the strength of youth pamphlet. And do you remember that one moment when he's like, it, the strength of youth, like in the eighties was this pamphlet that was like, this is when you should date. This is what you need to do about tattoos. This is what's happening with coffee. This is da 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 like that. 
right? And I love when he's like, hold on, I, I need to change your perspective because Jesus Christ is the strength of youth. Yeah. That's the strength of youth. Like when you sit down with your bishop and he's like, have you gone to the strength of youth? Which is what you probably said as a bishop a million times. What should I do about this? Well, have you looked at the strength of youth? Well, I love that President or Elder Uchtdorf was like, um, well, have you asked Jesus Christ? Yeah. Because he is the strength of youth. Right, right. So have you actually gone to him? Like, what does, how does he feel about lust? How does he feel about your enemy? How does he feel about, you know, you, you having two coats in the closet, one you haven't used for the last six years? Why don't you ask him what he thinks you should do? And I love that that's, that's what's happening here is Jesus is like, I'm trying to teach you about relationship over routine. Right. That's what I'm trying right. to teach you. I'm trying to teach you a higher law, which is going to enable you to live in a higher and holier way. And, and he's not saying this means you can live however you would like. Right. Because however you would like will not lead to his hopes and intentions, right? He actually is showing the way. He is the way. There is a way where he's just like, there are certain patterns of living that will not lead to the thrill of kingdom life. That's just, that's a reality. Yep. And he says, I will teach you. I will, I will guide you in that. I will, I will speak to relationships. I will speak about money. I will speak about sex. I will speak about, you know, um, defiling your body. Yeah. I'm a, I'm gonna speak to those things because like they are, there is patterns of living. I'm gonna actually speak to them. But, um, but he's like, I'm, I want you to make sure inner commitment first, then outward expression relationship-centered, you know, living yeah. is what I'm trying to teach yeah. in this. which I love so much. And it leads us to these last two verses that we're going to end on because I love that within this invitation, this call to come up, this call to live differently, there are these two little moments, and you see them in Luke 6, is where you find them, where he's, it's almost like he's asking this, how invested are you in this relationship and what do you want out of it? Mm. Um, and I love that he sets it up in two different ways. And the first way that he sets it up is going to be in Luke um, 6, and it's verse 38. And I had written it down as one of my favorite verses, and David was like, I don't even get that verse. <laughs> and then I was like, uh, have you ever canned wheat before? And so this is what the verse says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again and this is what i love about this when you go into the old city and you walk through um in jerusalem there are all of these like along the side of the streets these vendors that will be in there. And one of my favorite parts, we actually should have shown a picture of this, but some of my favorite vendors that are there will just have these ba uh, basket bowls. I don't know what you would call them, but they're like bowls, but they're made out of baskets. And they'll have like 50 of them and they're full of all like spices and incense and just of everything all different colors. in the world. Yeah, yeah they're, so and they're fun. beautiful. Like when, and it smells so good when you walk by. But what happens is, is you go in there and then you're like, I want some frankincense or I want this spice. And then they will bag it for you. And then you bring home all these little bags of just stuff. And one of the things that you can get is wheat. And I don't know if you've ever gone canning before, but this is what happens. Um, 
at least when I went canning, there was a cute lady missionary who came over and helped me my first time. And I poured the wheat into the thing all the way to the top. And then I got ready to put the lid on and she was like, no, 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 no. And she grabbed my uh, 10 inch can and she just started shaking it and she hit it on the table and then she would shake it again and then she would hit it again. And by the time she was done, there was like this much at the top, like a good two inches at the top that was like, I could put more wheat in there. And she was like, you can just put the lid on, but you could get a lot more if you take the time to shake it. And I love when you think about that, when he's talking about this, he's saying to them both about forgiveness, but also about love in a different verse. He'll say, give and it shall be given unto you. And then I love this thought about a good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over. Like that's the God we believe in. He's mm -hmm. not going to sell you short on something. And I love that it's almost like he's saying, how much do you want to invest in this relationship? Do you want to invest in good measure, pressed down and shaken together and like running, running over? over? Yeah. Yeah. Is that the kind of relationship that you want with me? And I love that thought, like as you enter into this Sermon on the Mount, this living a higher and holier way, how much do you want to invest into that kind of living? Yeah, and there seems to be an invitation in 48 that goes with it where he's just like, um, 47, whoever, you'll get these verses next time in Matthew 6 also, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and, do, and does them, I will show unto you he is like a man which built a house and digged deep and layeth the foundation on a rock. And I love that that expression, invitation of digging deep, you know, that um, he's trying to show us how to do that, how to live in a way that's more committed, higher and holier, you know? And do you wanna do that? Do you wanna dig deep into this? Because you'll find bedrock foundation when you do, is what, is what he says, and you will find security and you will find a way of living that the winds and the rains of this world can't knock you down. He's just like, that's what you're going to find yeah. in this. And you don't have to, but I am calling you to. And I'm not telling you that it's easy to yes. do this in yeah. this world. In fact, we love the idea of the upside down kingdom because he says, hey, FYI, <laughs> if you live the rules of my kingdom inside the world's kingdom, you will be driving on the wrong side of the road. It's like living the laws of the United Kingdom in the United States. People are going to look at you funny yeah. <laughs> and you're going to like have bumps yeah, with people. Yeah, you're driving you're, on the wrong you're side. You're on the wrong side you're, of the road. You're doing it wrong. It will be like that in this world. In the kingdom of this world, if you try and live my kingdom laws, it will feel like going against the grain sometimes. Like it's actually going to feel like that. And, I, and so I actually like, while I love what, so much what he's doing there, I... I then he ends, remember with that verse 48, be he therefore perfect, you know? I had a friend teaching this one time, <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount, and he looked at 48 and wanted to take his class of 48 to say like, oh my gosh. And you gosh. kind of want to go to 48 right now to get that yeah. to get you, this story. You have to go to, to Matthew 5. Yeah. Go to Matthew 5. And 48 says, be therefore perfect, you know? And... <laughs> and um, at the at the end of a list of says don't be angry and love your enemies and all of these things that are like oh my gosh that's so much and he was trying to teach them oh it gets worse <laughs> essentially you know he says and he was he was talking about verse forty eight um, but he accidentally said to the class 
28. And he was saying, <laughs> 48 is so hard, as we're trying to say, but he said, 28 is so hard. And 28 says, if you don't have your scriptures, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery already in his heart. And so thinking he was saying 48, he said to the class, everyone look at verse 28. It is the hardest commandment for me to live. That one is so hard. I cannot think of one that's harder than that one. And the classic looks it up and they're like, what? (laughs) You know, and he's just like, he's like, seriously, every day, I can't keep that one. I cannot keep it. You know, and everyone's like, oh my gosh. You know, and then he starts like pointing people out and he's like, Jake, do you have a hard time with this? (laughs) And he's like, well, I I mean, (laughs) he's like, do you not? Then some girl's like, did you mean 28? Are you in 28? And then he's like, oh my gosh. Everybody, I'm in 48. Which, you know, you start reading this and his point is, it feels overwhelming and it feels sort of intense, right? I love in that talk I said from Elder Holland where he talks about be therefore perfect eventually. He just said this, which I love. His sermon on this subject to be, is not to be a verbal hammer for battering us for our shortcomings. No, I believe he intended it to be a tribute to who and what God the Eternal Father is and what we can achieve with him in eternity. In any case, I'm grateful to know that in spite of my imperfections, at least God is perfect. At least he is, for example, able to love his enemies. Because too often, due to the natural man and woman in us, you and I are sometimes that enemy. How grateful I am. At least God can bless those who despitefully use him. Because without wanting or intending to do so, we all despitefully use him sometimes. I'm grateful God is merciful and a peacemaker because I need mercy and the world needs peace. Of course, all we say of the Father's virtues, we also say of his only begotten Son who lived and died unto that same perfection. And I love thinking about that. You know, that he's inviting us into the kind of life that he lives. And he's also like reminding us Hey, the murderer and the temper tantrum thrower are now all on the same playing field, right? Yeah. The, the, the lusting person and the adulterer, all of us are falling short. And, and if we fall short, we have nowhere to fall except into the arms of his grace. So how blessed are we mm. even when we fall short? Yeah, and and the thought that if, if you turn to him, he can work with any of those hearts. He can work with any of them and and make them whole right. again. Right, even to running over. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so good. All right, see you all next week, part two of Sermon on the Mount. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.